Romans chapter 14. You guys had a great time last week with John and Lawrence, Visalia and Bakersfield. Neat brothers, aren't they? And uh, a couple neat Calvary pastors, pastor of Calvary Visalia. Uh, actually, it's called Calvary Chapel Outreach. There's another Calvary in Visalia called Calvary Chapel Visalia, but John Mayer and Lawrence and uh, neat brothers. Well, in Romans 14 here tonight, as we looked at last time we were together by way of reminding, no one lives to himself, no one dies to himself, verse 7 and verse 8, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. We're God's possessions. We don't need to be each other's God. We have a God. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. So God is in control of things upon this earth, as well as the things upon heaven. Those people who have died and are with the Lord, those people who are living, he's still the Lord of everybody and everything. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want to remind you that we're not talking about clear doctrinal issues. We're talking about in this chapter, secondary or doubtful issues. Like whether you drink or dance or smoke or what days you have the Sabbath is to you or what day is, uh, what kind of foods that you eat. These type of things that are not clear in the scripture. It's not clear black and white. It's gray issues. And so he's saying, don't judge your brother over these things. And it's hard, you know, when you see somebody that you're very convinced upon that it's wrong to do, but yet you see them doing it. And you see their freedom and you want to condemn them in their freedom. Or you want to despise them because they have a lack of conviction. And so you, you want to say to them, man, I, in your heart, you see, you, you have this judgmentalness. We don't want to judge our brother over these doubtful issues. Because it's all going to come out before the Lord. We're all going to be judged before that judgment seat. The word there is bema. We looked at this last time. The bema seat of Christ. And so, again, we are all going to be judged. Every one of us are going to be judged by God. He goes on to say in verse 11, For as it's written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account to of himself to God. Once again, verse 12, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Now, this is an interesting verse because it's quoted out of Isaiah, verse 11. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. It comes out of Isaiah. You might want to turn there to Isaiah chapter 45, starting there in verse 21 to 24. But take a note there of Isaiah chapter 45. If you're from south, it's Isaiah. Got an idea. It's an Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 45, verse 21. Tell and bring forth your case. Yes, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient times? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? That's the Tetragrammaton. It's capitalized W or capital L O R D. And there is no other God besides me, a just God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Verse twenty-two. Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. For I am God and 
There is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. He shall say, surely the Lord, I have righteousness and strength to him. Men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. You say, wow, that's pretty clear. I'm God. There's none other, right? There's one Lord. We, We believe in one God. But also this verse is not just quoted in Romans chapter 14 here, but it's also quoted in Philippians chapter 2. So now turn over there to that book of the Philippines. Philippians chapter 2. In verse 9. Philippians chapter 2 verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, what? Every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now some say, where in the Bible does it clearly state that Jesus is God? You've got to understand a couple of things. When Jesus was in human flesh, he humbled himself as a man. He came to give all glory unto that first person of the Trinity, the Father. And so therefore, it is out of the nature, it's out of the character of Jesus, the Son, to take the glory unto himself. He gives all the glory unto the Father. Just like you'll read through the Bible, the Spirit of God doesn't take the glory unto himself. The Spirit gives the glory unto Jesus and unto the Father. And so in the Trinity, there's clearly a hierarchy. There's the first person of the Trinity, the second person, and the third person in that order. There's one substance of God. There is one God. If we could see that one substance, it would be one God. But yet that one God is indeed three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so some try to say, well, the Son isn't actually God. He's a notch down from God. He's sort of a God or whatever people come up with. No, there's only one God. And the Bible does clearly say hundreds of times, by the way, if you compare scriptures, that Jesus is God. And here's one of them. And so I pointed out here tonight, he says, there's no other God besides me, plain as can be. And there's no righteousness. You could study that out. In that day, they'll say the righteousness comes from God. Study it out through Jesus Christ alone. He who knew no sin became sin for us, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So again, him giving the righteousness, that's another issue you can study out that the Bible says God alone can give out righteousness, but yet Jesus give, gives us righteousness. And so here again, we see that to me alone, God alone, he says in Isaiah, till every knee shall bow. And here we see it's Jesus. Now on that same note, as you look in Romans 14, it says clearly that Jesus, therefore, is going to be the judge. So it says, the Lord, God alone, will judge. To him, every tongue will confess. To God, right? Now, in another place, in in John chapter 5, look there, if you would, over to the Gospel of John chapter 5. In verse 21. The Gospel of John chapter 5, verse 21 to 23 John chapter 5, verse 21 and 23. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. 
For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so here again, we see in Romans that the Lord alone is going to judge. God alone is going to judge. We looked up that passage. It's quoting out of Isaiah. It makes it very emphatic. I am God. There is no other. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. We looked over at Philippians, and it says plainly there that unto Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess unto him and proclaim he is Lord. And now we see here again that in in John chapter 5, that all judgment is given unto the Son. It's very plain, a couple of things. One, Jesus is God. And number two, that second person of the Trinity is going to be judge. We are all going to be before Jesus Christ and being judged by him. And so, we all are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what it says. Or some translations say of God. But either way. It's, it's the same thing. Christ is God. God is Christ. They're one and the same. So we're going to send before the judgment seat of Christ or of God. And Isaiah again, as it lives, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So what are we going to confess? We're going to confess everything. We're all going to give an account unto God. Now, we need to live in that moment. We need to live in the reality that we are going to confess our entire life before the Lord. If you've read that wild and crazy book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man in the world, had a bunch of wise things to say and didn't do any of them and ended up in a horrible situation. If he'd go back and read his own book and keep it, he would have been in great shape. But he was in a backslidden condition and oh, how empty and vain life was. And from a very humanistic standpoint, he looks at the world and he says, it's empty, it's vain, it's not worth it. Who's the best off person? The stillborn baby. What's the only hope? Get drunk and stay drunk. That's his words of wisdom in Ecclesiastes as he's trying to, without God, make it by on planet Earth. And he finally ends that book. Let's look over there to Ecclesiastes. It's right after the book of Proverbs. So you, I'm sure you've looked at the book of Proverbs. Read a proverb a day. There's 31 proverbs. So in a month that has 31 days, you could read one proverb per day. And then if you read five psalms a day, it works out. You read all the psalms in a month. So... I know Billy Graham, if that does anything for you, Billy Graham, he reads five Psalms and one Proverbs every day. And look what it's done for him, man. So in Ecclesiastes there, he finally concludes the matter in verse 13. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, did I tell you that? No, I didn't. Okay. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. Live in awe. Live in reverence. Live in respect of God. And keep his commandments. Do everything he said from Genesis Revelation. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
He says, man, how can you get out of a fix like I'm in? Just fear God, start doing what he says. Wherever you're at today, if you're down today, for whatever reason you might be down, it's very simple. Just read the Bible tomorrow. Whatever you read, do it. And live in respect and awe of God and wake up and realize you are going to relive the moment. Oh, so glad that's behind me. It's not. You're going to have to relive that moment before Jesus. I don't think publicly because the Bible says that all the sins have been scattered far as the east is to the west. We're not going to be judged for our sins as believers. But nevertheless, we are going to have to give an account of them before Jesus. Paul says the same thing. We looked at this verse last time, but let's look at it again. In 1 Corinthians, look there at chapter 3, chapter 4, and then we'll look at 2 Corinthians 5. So 1 Corinthians 3, first of all. First Corinthians 3, verse 11. We looked at this one last time, so I'll just quickly look at them. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 3, verse 12 now. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, hay, uh, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work for what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So the believer is going to be before that bema seat of Christ. And his judgment's going to be a fiery judgment. Our works, good or bad, will be brought before him. And they'll be tested as through fire. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, just look at the very next chapter there, verse 4 and 5. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So whatever degree, maybe it's only salvation. All your rewards have been burned up. Or maybe there's many good works that you've done in the right heart and the right motive, and you'll have great rewards in heaven for them. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, dead or alive, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror, the awesomeness of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and we also trust are well known to your conscience. So very clearly, we are going to stand before God. We are going to give an account of how we spent our time how we spent our money, how we treated our wife, how we worked in a job place, how we raised our kids, whether we did it according to the word of God. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but that is very, very sobering. God has called us to redeem the time. God's called us to be wise and know what the will of the Lord is. So how should then we look at life knowing this to be the case? 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Turn there if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 29 and 30 to 32. 
they're taking communion in an unworthy way. And he says, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So realize it's very serious when we remember Christ in communion, because if we're flippant, planning on going out and living a life of sin, not being broken before God for him giving us his son who was brutally beaten and died on a cross, if you're not sobered by communion and repentive in communion for your own health, I wouldn't take it. For to this reason, many are weak, sick, and die. Many sleep, the Christian words for, die, for death. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Listen to that just a minute. Think about it. If we would judge ourselves, we would not need to be judged. And he goes on, for when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. There is another judgment, as we looked at it last time we were together, in Revelation 20, called the great white throne judgment. And the non-believers are going to go before the white throne judgment. We're going to go before the bema seat of Christ, those who are believers. And that white throne judgment, they're going to be damned to hell for the works they have done. Namely, they didn't receive Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, he says, those who haven't believed are condemned already because they didn't believe. Those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection... There is no hope of salvation, no matter how many, quote-unquote, good works they've done. Because our goodness, the Bible says, our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. We cannot make up for one sin. And no matter how good work, many good works we've done, they cannot attain to the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we who have believed in Christ, although we may stumble and fall in many ways, if we will judge ourselves now, we need not be judged by God. So in other words, if we'll live soberly right now, as he says there in 1 Peter, that we're to live soberly, not converting back to our sins as we did in our ignorance. Not to go back to our sins as we did in our ignorance, but to realize God has called me in holiness to live a holy life as he is holy. So now we need to judge ourselves. We need to look at God's word and say, how do I compare to it? And if we come short, we need to cry out to God saying, Lord, I, I see that I'm, I'm coming short. I see that I'm lacking in this area. I see that your spirit is speaking to my spirit, that I'm a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, there's a higher road that I need to take and I'm not taking it. But I'm living in the mindset of the world. I'm living as the world in many ways. God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in that way of everlasting. And so as we're in the midst of a pattern of life, remember, maybe it's grumbling and complaining like the world, or maybe it's crude talking like the world, or maybe it's lusting like the world, or maybe it's wasting time or wasting money or not working as unto the Lord or not loving your wife as Christ loves the church or all of these areas. And as God zeroes in and grabs a hold of us, you see, in that area, we need to be honest with the Lord. And judge ourselves so we don't continue in that life so it becomes a big issue on that day of judgment. Oh, well, you were not respecting your husband as unto the Lord and everything. But I spoke to you about that back in 1987. And I spoke to that again in 1990. And the Lord zeroed that in. And, and, and there's the times where he spoke to your heart and you just said, 
He's a jerk. He doesn't deserve it. Forget it. And you went on by. And so now those years where you did not respect your husband, you did not honor him as you would unto the Lord. Now you're going to have to reckon with God on that issue. And the fire is going to burn and there's going to be some loss of reward in your life, reward in your life because of that. Maybe you're not loving your wife as Christ loves the church. You're taking it for granted and she's your cook and your maid and, and whatever else. And you're not truly loving her as Christ loves the church. You've never dealt with it. You've never said, Lord, am I loving my wife as Christ loves the church? What's it mean? How did you love me, Lord? How have you loved the church? What is it you've done that I need to do? And to take that soberly, I need to walk as Jesus walked. What did Jesus do? He loved his wife in a certain way. And I am to follow his example and love my wife in the same way he loved his wife, the church. So now I need to go and study out the word of God and cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, how is it you love your wife? And as I struggle, as I deal with that issue, God begins to do surgery in my heart. But I am judging myself on this matter. So I need not be judged by God. So I don't stand before the Lord and he says, well, let's look at the issue of your marriage. And there is the fire as to the marriage. It just burns up and no reward. No heavenly blessing for all of eternity. And let me tell you, it's going to make a difference. They're telling you now all the time on the, on the radio and, and on the news, hey, are you ready for retirement? You're going to wake up one day and be 65 years old and you're going to be getting 25 cents a month from your Social Security and, and you're going to be going, man, what am I going to do? And what are they saying to you? They're saying very clearly, You've got to start living it today if you want the blessings of it 20 years from now, which is going to be a vapor of time. And oh, how right they are. Now, I'm not going to worry about that, but I say that's carnal things. That's the things of this earth. And God's already said, we don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink. God's going to take care of our needs now and when we're 65 or 70 for most of us. (laughs) But... The point is, is that one day, I'm telling you right now, you're going to wake up and you're going to be in the face of Jesus Christ before that beam of seat of Christ. And at that point, your life is going to be tested as by fire. It's all going to be revealed. What you have done, good or bad. Jesus said in Matthew, all the things you've said, every word is going to be brought to light. Science tells us now that every sound never quits. Did you know that? Every sound continues on and on and on and on and on out into space. It continues on. So I don't think the Lord's going to have an actual recorder. I think he's actually just going to reach out in space and actually grab your words. It will actually be your words. It won't be a recording of your words. It's your actual words you said. You're going to hear them again. It's you actually saying them. But every word you spoke, God says, You're going to have to give an account of it. So, now, do you have time to judge your brother? Do you have time? I don't think you do. As D.L. Moody said, right now, I am spending so much time dealing with D.L. Moody, I don't have time to deal with anybody else. I don't have time to judge my brother. And so here a guy is all uptight about smoking. 
That guy calls himself a Christian. He lifts his hand in worship. He reads his Bible at work, but he smokes. Ah! Hey, go look in the mirror. You do a lot of things worse than smoking. And you lift your hands in worship and you read your Bible on the lunch hour. And do you, are you perfected? Are you so perfect now that you are so confident you're going to stand before God 100% approved that you have time to worry about these peripheral issues? Whether he smokes or drinks or dances or chews or goes to girls with do or whatever, you know. <laughs> whatever it is. If that's an issue with you, you're not looking at things soberly. You're not looking that you are going to be standing before God in judgment. And that you need to constantly be putting all your energies on saying, how then should I live today? I can't take on tomorrow. I can't undo yesterday. But today, how am I living in time, in finances, at work, with my family, in purity, in my mind, with my hands, with my feet, with my mouth, with my eyes, with my ears? How am I living before God? We are all going to every one of us believers are going to all stand before that judgment seat of Christ, that bema seat. All non-believers are going to stand before the great white throne judgment, and they will be judged to the degree of hell they'll go to. Whatever degree, the hotness of the fire, the, how close they'll be next to Satan. I don't, I don't know exactly how it works out, but they'll be judged to the degree how evil they've been. But for us as believers, we're going to be judged by how well we've done. And so with us, it's not an issue anymore whether or not I'm going to be approved of for salvation. Because I believed in Jesus Christ. And John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. You won't perish, but you will have everlasting life. Romans 8 Therefore, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We won't have condemnation. Those who have believed in him have already passed from death into life. Okay? So we believed in him. We are guaranteed that we won't be before that great white throne of judgment. But we will be before the bema seat of Christ. So let each of us, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Verse 12. Do we believe that? Do we understand that? Take home. Look at those verses. Jesus Christ is going to judge our works. He loves us. We're going to be in heaven. But for many of you who are living a very carnal life, all you're going to end up with is a white robe of righteousness. That's it. And for all of eternity, you're set with whatever financial state or whatever reward state you're in at that point. What kind of rewards will you have at that bema seat? You're set for all of eternity. Now, if I've, as I've talked about once before, and I'll mention it quickly for those of you who haven't heard, I don't necessarily think our reward is going to be tangible things. Because what do you need a house in heaven for? Do you need the bathroom? Uh, I don't think so. Do you need the kitchen? No, we're eating at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Do you need a bedroom? Why? I don't think we're going to be sleeping. Do you need a living room? Why? What part of the house would you need in heaven? Rewards. Gold is the asphalt. 
You know, I, I don't think there's going to be any pocket full of change. We're going to be, you know, using fil- filthy lucre and, you know, buying and selling and, and, you know, going to the angel parlor or whatever to get a back rub or whatever. I, I don't think it's going to happen. So what is our reward going to be? I believe it's our body. I believe the degree of soaking up the glory, soaking up the worship, soaking up a mature relationship with Jesus Christ. So my son Tracy, if I were to say, I'm going to do something special, I'm going to take you to McDonald's and get you a Big Mac. Oh, that's just awesome. Man, dad's the most greatest dad in the world. If I were to try that on my wife, okay, it wouldn't work. Because her degree of maturity is different than my six-year-old son, Tracy. In the same way in heaven, I think everybody's going to be happy. But I think there's going to be some believers who are going to be playing with their happy mills going, isn't heavy great, heaven great? Boy, I mean, it's just a wonderful place is heaven. You know, I got my happy mill. And there's going to be others of us walking by, patting them on the heads going, well, yes, heaven is great. We're so happy for you. But we're going to be entering into those deep and wonderful things in the Lord and of the Lord. And so, again, that makes sense to me. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and and other places, um, it talks about the measure of glory. Those who suffered these things will also receive the degree of glory, the measure of glory. So I believe it's going to be our body. And you're set for all of eternity. And I don't know about you, but I want to be as close as Jesus as I can for all of eternity. I want to be as mature as I am can be. And I want the best heavenly body that heavenly bodies can have to soak up all of the worship and the glory and the insight and uh, the knowledge of our Lord. I don't want to be child, children, or childish in my thinking for all of eternity. Well, sober thought to think about. So in verse 13, so therefore, since we've got so much to deal with us, therefore let us not judge one another anymore. God has the judgment intact, but rather resolve not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. So we're going to look on the one side of the coin. You guys out there who have liberty in Christ, resolve in your heart to say, okay, I know I'm ready to stand before God on this issue. Jesus said it's not what goes in the man that defiles the man, it's what's come out of his heart, so it's okay for me to smoke and drink because it's not changing my heart. There's other scriptures, too, that would contradict those scriptures or go against those scriptures and say maybe you shouldn't do it. But we're not going to play the sword fighting game on these issues tonight. We've already done that. But you say, "I, I smoke. I'm ready to stand before God that I don't think he cares. Okay, fine. You're ready to stand before God on the smoking issue. You smoke. Okay. But... That's not the end of the issue. Because you have brothers right now here on earth that can be affected by you the way you live. You say, I'm ready to take on the effect of what that might be for all of eternity before God. I'm confident. Okay, great. But remember that the way you live now also affects your brother. And there are weaker brothers who could be stumbled could be stumbled by what you do. There are people who have come out of a life of alcoholism and they see you drinking in your liberty of drinking. Ah, that could mess them up. 
as they now have been sober for 10 years and they say, well, maybe I can handle drinking now. Pastor Brian, I saw him drink a couple beers at the Padre. Maybe I can try it too. So now I've used my liberty and here this guy ends back up in a life of alcoholism. So therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, look over there if you would. And of course, he's using the example of eating meat sacrificed to idols. And in chapter 8, verse 1, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs us up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God. Therefore, concerning eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, just Satan mimicking some power, are they are many gods and many lords? Of course there's not. Yet for us there is only one God and Father of whom are all things, and we are, we are for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we live. However, verse 7, Paul's saying, I'm one of the mature brothers. I have no problems eating those meat, sacrificing to idols, or the example I'm giving of smoking or drinking. I can do it. It doesn't bother my conscience. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. It really is messing them up spiritually. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat, are we the worse? But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. Listen to verse 9 again. Watch out. If your stumbling block doesn't stumble those who are weak, your liberty stumbles those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idolist temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So now you're going to start him in that pattern, which is against his conscience. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? So it's going to wound his conscience. He's not going to have that tender relationship with the Lord. And it's going to cause him to walk away from a deep relationship with God to a shallow relationship to maybe no relationship. But because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish. And in verse 12, but when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, If food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. So he says, okay, guys, you can smoke, you can drink, no problem. You're ready to stand before God. You don't think he cares. Not even issue on the day of judgment. Okay, you may be right. Maybe for you, that's not in your conscience. It's not going to be an issue before you and God, but it will be an issue because he starts bringing up names of people that you stumbled. People who would have been strong Christians, but were weak Christians. People who would have went and soared with God, but instead for their entire Christian walk, they stumbled around on drugs, off drugs, on alcohol, off alcohol, smoking, not smoking, because it's bothering them. And every time they have in their hearts this anger, I'm never going to do it again. They see you doing it and they're saying, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And then it stumbles them again. Now, you're going to be judged before God on that matter. Not on the issue maybe of drinking. Maybe that isn't going to be an issue. But the fact that your liberty stumbled your brother, now you are going to be judged for that. So Paul says, I'll never eat meat again. Wow, now that would be tough. I mean, 
I know people that have tried the vegetarian thing. I've never tried it for a day. I mean, I have fasted, but it, it, I had no intentions of giving up meat permanently. And the whole time I fasted, I, I thought of that moment when I quit fasting, and I'm going to be biting into a, a big chunk of meat. But, but Paul said, Paul said, I'll give up meat. Wow. Now, to me, that's sort of a staple item. And I think it probably was with Paul as well. But he says, I won't do it anymore. How much more, if Paul was willing to give up meat, how much more should we be willing to give up smoking or drinking or dancing or R-rated movies or whatever it might be that would stumble our brother? Do you get it? So on the one side, we say, well, it's not stumbling for me, but is it going to stumble somebody else who is weaker in the faith, who doesn't have the freedom you have? It could be. And Paul's attitude is, if there's a slight possibility of that, I'm not going to do it. And I say to you, especially you who are mature in the faith, I say to you, who it won't be a burden to, to change your lifestyle because you love the brethren. As Paul says in 2 Timothy, everything I do is for the elect's sake. My whole life is for the elect. And so you who are mature in the faith, you are living in the same way. Everything I'm doing is for the body of Christ. My whole life is for the body of Christ. I wake up in the morning and I pray for the body of Christ. I study the scriptures, not just enough for myself, but to help talk to others about Christ as well. Every moment of the day, every penny that I have, I'm always conscious of the body of Christ. My life really is to love Christ and to love his body. So how much more then is it a big issue? Is it a big deal to smoke? Give it up. Is it a big deal to drink? Just put it to the wayside. Because there's that possibility in our culture of stumbling the brother. And you will talk with God on whom you stumbled. And you say, well, I go out in the desert by myself. And I like to smoke a cigar out in the desert looking at the stars. Well, I don't think you'll probably stumble anybody out there. Go ahead. But, but, if they see you buying one to take out in the desert, so now you have a problem. You see, it's always going to be that issue, and we've got to get past our childishness, huh? I mean, when we were children, we thought as child children, we acted as children, but when we put away those childish things, and I say to you, as many as mature in Christ, let's put away the things of this world. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink. These things are so important to us, man. It's stupid. It's ridiculous. It has no bearing upon our life. If you never smoke again, you're going to live just fine, probably better. If you never drink again, but oh man, I love to drink. I love, I love a beer, man. I just... But if you never did it again, so what? You're going you're gonna to survive. But now add that into rewards. If you're saying, God, I'm giving this to you as a sacrifice. I'm laying that swistle sweet cigar at your feet. I, I, I won't smoke it anymore because I, I want to be used and I, I don't want to possibly stumble the brothers. So in this next vapor of time, in this next 50 years, this next 50 years is 18,000. 550 days. So for the next 18,550 days, I give that to you as a sacrifice because I don't want to stumble the brother. What kind of reward is that going to add up to in heaven? 
I think, a great one. Lord, I, I, I love that Coors Light. Man, I, I just, just, that foam touching my lips and just guzzling it down on a hot day working out in the back. Oh, man, I just love that, Lord. But the possibility of stumbling, I'm laying it down. If I lived another 50 years, another 18,550, I, so what? 18,550 days, what, what is that? What kind of heavenly reward do you think that's going to be added unto you? I'm telling you, I think your reward in heaven will be great. I really do. Now, if you're there going, man, who wants me to give up beer? I can't give up beer. Don't. It's your liberty in Christ. But don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. As it says in Galatians 5, but through love serve one another. Galatians chapter 5. Don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And so think about it. Chew on it. And I think Christ will reveal this to you. That there's some things in your life you need to set aside for you. No. For the brethren's sake. And as you do it for the brethren's sake, great will your reward be in heaven. Well, verse 14 and 15, we looked at when we covered the issues on food. I'll read it. I know and I am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet... If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food your food, the one to whom Christ has died. So again, elaborating from verse 13, walk in love, consider your brother, don't hurt him because of your liberty. And in verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. What's the conclusion on that? You're good. Man, my freedom in Christ. My, I can be a Christian and drink, and that's my freedom. I can be a Christian and go to the dance halls. I, I, that's my freedom in Christ. And I've led people to the Lord in those dance halls. And I, I've led people to the Lord while I'm holding a beer in my hand. And, I, and this is my freedom, and it makes people comfortable. And, and, but is it in spite of that, not because of that? In other words, that person you led to the Lord in the dance hall, are you saying they never would have came to God had you not been dancing? Are you saying that that person wouldn't have come to Christ and felt comfortable enough to hear the gospel if you didn't have a beer in your hand? You can't prove that. And so don't let your good now be spoken evil of because you've stumbled somebody. And you can go and find somebody who is now in the world, not in church, not following God, not walking with the Lord anymore because they saw you doing something, drinking something, smoking something, doing something that is a questionable gray area in Christianity. Is it really something Jesus would do? As I had mentioned before, when I get to heaven and I'm walking up to the Lord, I don't think he's going to blow out the last little bit of smoke and then give me a hug. I, I just don't picture Jesus lighting one up. I just have a hard time seeing Jesus, you know, down in his third beer. I, I just have a hard time seeing that. So again, don't let your good be spoken evil of. In other words, if you are saying today, right now, I'm not giving up that, Brian. Okay, but listen. Number one, walk in love. Number two, don't let your brother be destroyed. Don't 
ever let it come to the point where somebody has stumbled and even falls away from Christ because of your liberty. I'll tell you what. Jesus said, stumbling will come. But woe to that one by whom it comes by. It would be better for that man to go get a millstone, put it around his neck, and throw himself into the midst of the sea than to have to face God having stumbled one of the little ones. I'm just saying to you, if you give that up as a sacrifice, what great reward is going to be in heaven? On the other side of the coin, I say to you, I don't want to be in your shoes, standing before the Lord, having to give an account of somebody who has stumbled because of my quote-unquote liberty. And I say to you, how great of a loss of reward will you have over that issue? I think that issue alone, as I see Jesus' heart on it, is enough as you are tried in fire to lose everything and to end up with only a white robe of righteousness. Because all of your good now is no compared to that one evil. And as God there is trying to figure out your reward, it's just all flamed and one flame together because of one brother who has been stumbled over your liberty. And so I say to you, those of you who are saying today, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal, and, you know, if they're stumbled over that, that's really their own problem. I'm telling you, you can think that way, but when God judges you, he won't be thinking that way. You weren't walking in love, your good has been speaking, spoken evil of, and there's going to be severe judgment before God. Not to condemnation. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. But great loss of reward. And on that day, when we understand what reward in heaven means or no reward in heaven means, I guarantee you, you're going to wish you had reward. You're going to wish you had much reward. You're going to wish I could relive my life over again with the thought of the reward. And so, that's why the Bible tells us now. We don't have to wish to live it again. We can right now start living with, with the concept in mind, I'm storing up treasure in heaven. My, I'm living my life for the day of that great reward. And I want to live now consciously every day, storing up treasures with good works towards heaven to come. On the other side, I don't want to do things that would stumble my brother and cause all my reward to vanish because I stumbled one brother over a very stupid fleshly thing. If I didn't have this body, I wouldn't even thought to do it. So think on these things. First John chapter 2, verse 28, abide in him, little children, and when he appears, so you don't shrink away in shame at his appearing. There are going to be Christians who are going to stand before God. They're going to be in heaven forever, but there's going to be a moment of being ashamed. Jude talks about it too snatching them, as it were, out of the fire, hating the very garments they wear. But nevertheless, they're saved. Don't be one of those people. You know, cause me as a pastor, as I've got to give an account of all you guys. I, I have one thing to do that most of you don't. I've got to give an account of every one of you guys. And I would love to see the top 20% richest people in heaven are people that were under my ministry. I mean... What a joy as a pastor that would be to see the people that have, are the greatest in God's kingdom. The greatest rewards in heaven were the people that caught on to what I'm saying tonight and clued in and started living for the next 
18,550 days, if you have that long, purely for the Lord and Him only. What a great life style for here, as how, as well as what a great reward system that is for the life to come. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. And as we think on these things and contemplate these things, Lord, we know they're only man's words until your spirit puts them deep within our hearts, God. And we ask right now, by the power of your spirit, you would pierce us deeply, Lord. Hide your word deep in our hearts. Lord, help us to truly believe it and to really live as heaven in view. God, almost everybody in this room has lived long enough to know life is but a vapor. Help us, God, to live, realizing today may be our last day, tomorrow may be our last day, and even if it's not, it'll seem like it. Because one day ties into the next, and before you know it, 50 years has gone by. Lord, life is but a vapor. Help us now to live wisely, redeeming the time, living holy before you as you have walked, so let us walk. And to give much glory, so you can give us much reward and be glorified and given us much reward on that day. In Jesus' precious holy name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.